Good morning, Miss O'Day. I will be reading to you today. And Paul still has stuff to say. This letter is still going on. So we're in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and let's see what Paul has to say to the church in Corinth. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. So we urged Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, in the love that we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I am not commanding you, but I want you to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. And here is my judgment about what is best for you in this matter. Last year you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work, so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it, according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to the one who has, not according to what one does not have. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there may be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need, so that in turn, their plenty will supply what you need. The goal is equality. As it is written, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. Thanks be to God, who put into the heart of Titus the same concern I have for you. For Titus not only welcomed our appeal, but he is coming to you with much enthusiasm and on his own initiative. And we are sending along with him the brother, who is praised by all the churches for his service to the gospel. What is more, he was chosen by the churches to accompany us as we carry the offering, which we administer in order to honor the Lord himself and to show our eagerness to help. We want to avoid any criticism of the way that we administer this liberal gift. For we are taking pains to do what is right, not only in the eyes of the Lord, but also in the eyes of man. In addition, We are sending with them our brother, who has often proven to us in many ways that he is zealous, and now even more so because of his great confidence in you. As for Titus, he is my partner and co-worker among you. As for our brothers, they are representatives of the church and an honor to Christ. Therefore, show these men the proof of your love and the reason for our pride in you, so that the church can see it.
Well, we thank Jonathan for that long reading of Corinthians um, chapter, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And for those of you who tuned in, the question on the screen this morning is, what are the practical things you've been doing to stay connected during the pandemic? Thanks for all of your um, comments on that. Video calls and games with family, out road biking, hikes, socially distanced, of course. Socially paced yard beers and outdoor hangs, camping. And then I think Rebecca gets the... Um, the love for the most funny. <laughs> Rebecca's been practicing humor um, in her mass gatherings during this pandemic. Um, but there are some moments, and specifically a moment like this, where it requires us to be more intentional about connection. And this one is a really significant moment in our lives where we have to be practical get practical in thinking about ways that we might connect with one another. And we've been in Corinthians now for the last number of weeks. And morning, um, this is probably the most uh, practical the that Paul has this been in his entire letter. And he opens it up and he wants to make sure that when he goes back to Corinth, they have set aside money for the church in Jerusalem that is struggling. They're struggling and they're poor, impoverished. And so Paul is encouraging the churches that he's now a part of in Greece to give to them specifically and practically. And it's not new. They actually, in 1 Corinthians 16, 1 to 4, they already committed to do it. And Paul suggested that they set aside money every week so that when he returns to them, it's all ready to go. They're making a good plan in order to relieve these churches in Jerusalem. Again, he's being really practical in this moment. We can hear the weightiness to the moment too, though. You can feel it when you read it. We read it today, or not today. We read it this week as a staff. And um, as we were reading it, the force with which Paul is speaking comes across. He is coming across as strong. And that really came through to us and listening to the intensity with which he shows up in this moment. And I think it honestly ties back to what Johnny was talking about from chapter 7 last week and specifically verse 13. Where Paul says, I want you to do these things so that you would realize and act, realize and act upon the deep, deep ties between us before God. He's urging them to do this for each other, to do this practical thing for these other churches that they would realize and act upon these deep, deep ties that they have between them. And there's a repeated word behind the urging tone that Paul has, Paul has in that repeated word is grace. He keeps using it over and over again. And the word grace is predominantly used by Paul in his letters when he's talking about Jesus' goodwill towards us. The word grace means favor, like this pure gift. And it's a sense where Jesus is freely extending himself. He's reaching because he's disposed to bless or he's disposed to be near. 
that's the, the thrust of what grace Paul means. And so as he says this word, he now is wanting the church to realize that we do the same. Having tasted the grace that we receive in Jesus, and it's amongst them that then that comes to them and then it manifests itself through them so that they begin to freely extend themselves. Because now they are disposed to bless or to be near in favor to others. Specifically to these other churches. And so there's a purpose to this. There's a practical thing which is about connection. So this offering is demonstrating to the Gentile church that they belong to the Jewish Christians to the Jewish church. And maybe more significantly, it's demonstrating to the Jerusalem Christians that they belong to Gentiles. Macedonia, which would be Philippi and Thessalonica, and then Achaia, which is Corinth. And they had once seen the Jerusalem folks had seen these others as less than or strange even held Gentiles in contempt or disgust. But having come to believe in Jesus, they now belong to each other. They are all God's renewed people. And so this offering to the Jewish Christians is a practical demonstration of their unity, their unity in Christ, their belonging to one another, the deep, deep ties between them before God. And for Jerusalem, specifically the Jerusalem church, it symbolizes that God has been at work in people that they don't like. That God has been at work in people that they don't like. And this is is fleshed out greater in Romans, Romans chapter 15. So we're going to go there together. 25, we'll start at. Paul picks up kind of, he's talking about this, Offering, and then he picks up after he's collected the offering as he writes this letter to Romans. I am on my way to Jerusalem in service of the Lord's people there. For Macedonia and Achaia, that's Corinth, were pleased to make a contribution for the poor amongst the Lord's people in Jerusalem. So he's made this collection. He has this collection. They were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in the Jews' spiritual blessing, they owe it to the Jews to share with them the material blessing. There's this equity that is being exchanged that Paul is writing about now to the church in Rome. He's on his way to Jerusalem with this collection. And then he says in verse 30, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to join me... In my struggle, by praying to God for me. Pray that I may be kept safe from the unbelievers in Judea and that the contribution I take to Jerusalem may be favorably received by the Lord's people there. This whole thing, this whole money thing, puts Paul in a really precarious situation. He's currently in this tense relationship with Corinth. And now we can see in this letter that he's writing to Rome, 
when he's asking them to join him in the struggle. Firstly, that he'd be kept safe when he goes to Judea. Like his own people do not look favorably upon him. And in fact, if you read Acts 21 to 28, it, it doesn't go well for him. This is a moment that does not go well for Paul at all. He's arrested. So he asks them to pray because he's afraid of what his own people, the Jewish community, might do to him when he arrives in Jerusalem. And secondly, he prays that the contribution he takes would be favorably received by the Jerusalem Christians. So he's taking this offering and he knows that there's a really strong possibility that because it's coming from the Gentiles, those others, that it might not be favorably received. They might turn their nose up at it. Which you realize that this situation must be pretty intense if what you need is going to be rejected on account of who it comes from. So there is so much tension in this moment in what this gift represents. And it's easy with a passage like this to focus on the mechanical. Oh, we should give to the poor. It's kind of at first read maybe what it looks like. But the point actually comes through most clearly in verses 8 and 9. I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. So the point is actually that the sincerity of their love, the Gentile church, would be practically demonstrated or the sincerity of the Corinthian church would be practically demonstrated like the Macedonian church and also as it was in Christ, self-sacrificially. That the genuineness of their love would be demonstrable, would be felt, would be real, would be tangible, would be practical. Why? For the sake of equality, verses 13 and 14, our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need so that in turn, their plenty will supply what you need. The goal is equality. The goal is explicitly named in verse 14. Equality. So this monetary gift is given why? Well, it's a means to a much larger end. That sincere love would be practically demonstrated for the sake of equality. This picture here that Paul is painting is that no one is less or more important in the kingdom of Jesus. That Jesus has begun and is sustaining this beloved community. And while practices like money giving are important, they're not actually the point. It's what these things or these kinds of practices lead us to, what they cultivate, what they accomplish in community or between communities. 
So the offering is a gesture and it's an important one. But it speaks most loudly that these disparate people have become bound together in Christ. That they belong to each other. These are your people, says Paul. And the chief issue that he is driving at is how do you practically love the people that you are bound to? And ultimately, it affects everyday life. And you know that if you have a family or housemates. When you are bound to other people, it affects your everyday life. Probably tell me stories about how you being bound to other people affects your everyday life. Maybe for good or for ill. But what comes through also is that these churches is that the reality that we're not just bound together to form our people. These are my peeps right here. I got them. And it's not like that. The reality that actually is coming through in this whole section is that we are bound to other people that we do not like. And that's when all of this gets real. Ask to give to a person whose integrity you question. For the Corinthians, that's Paul. They're asked, the Jerusalem Christians are asked to receive from people who don't respect, who they've historically had contempt for, even disgust. It's when this gets real. And all of this is very practical for our own moment because we are currently consistently being polarized. We're being polarized at the highest societal level, but then also in our personal familial level. We're being torn apart in society right now. How we respond to COVID. How we respond to racism. How we show up with our politics. And there are these camps that seek to separate. Julie Chang this week was texting me quotes from a book she's reading by Martin Schleske. One of the quotes really stood out to me in light of my study, and it said, opposites that do not preserve unity signify alienation. And that's happening right now. Not just socially. I was having my Zoom counseling session with my counselor, this week, and we were talking about the fact that she's doing a lot of couples counseling at the moment. And she said, with everything going on right now, she's like, there's a need for my counsel more and more and more. And she said, there's moments where couples turn to each other and literally say, I didn't know that you thought that. Or they come in bringing the fact that, like, I didn't know this human that I'm connected to actually thinks that. And then the next thing after that is like, I don't know that I like that about you. Which then turns into, I don't know if I like you. 
So there's this alienation that's happening at the largest level, but it's also beginning to creep into the closest relationships that we have in our families, our siblings, our spouses. And there's nowhere really that we can look to where we are really being empowered to love the other. We're not being empowered with love for the other. Definitely not happening on the news. It's definitely not happening in politics. It's definitely not happening on social media. And if it is happening, it's rare. There are not spaces, consistent spaces, where we are empowered to relationally love the other. Instead, we're encouraged to be oppositional. And in that oppositionally, in that opposition to be alienating or to feel alienated. Equality and cooperation don't exist in many of our current systems and spaces. And we're finding it harder and harder to live with that ambiguity. To stay in places with others where their values differ And instead of talking, we end up competing or shouting and demanding. And that's exactly what is happening in Paul's situation. They were oppositional to one another and it was making them alienated from each other. And so Paul here with something very practical like money is driving them towards a different way, which is why I think he is being so passionate. He wants to give us a new imagination for how we might engage with people in our lives, dignifying the other with the notion of equality, with the notion of grace, with the notion of sacrificial love. Not that we need to be the same. That's never what Paul is a proponent of but instead that we would be relationally empowered, relationally empowered as the church to show up in tangible, practical ways that represent unity and belonging and love. And that is hard to do. And so as we look at this passage, we shouldn't just like wholesale take whatever practice it was that Paul was talking about practically and place it onto our moment. We should ask ourselves, what do we need practically in this moment? What practices do we need that would realize and act upon the deep, deep ties that we have between each other? Yes, as believers, but also as humans, all made in the image of God. And so I'm going to ask you this morning, Missio, What practices do we need? What practice do you need? Let's share ideas as you already did this morning. You can put them in the comments. Like, what are some ideas of things that you could do to be relationally empowered to love the other, however different they are? I was thinking about that this week and one of the most obvious ones that comes to my mind is listening. 
the practice of listening. I think another practice that comes out here is like the practice of receiving. You have to ask yourself the question, do you recognize and make space for the fact that God is at work potentially in people that you do not like? And that they actually might have something that you could receive from them. So another practice could be the practice of receiving. I asked a friend this week who's a poet, if she had a poem that she would write about inequity. Sometimes the arts are a way of disarming us out of talking, like we have a a new imagination for something when somebody produces something beautiful and puts it out into the world. So I want to ask you, what other ideas do you have? I'm going to give a few quiet moments so that somehow we as in our separate places, we can come collectively together and ask ourselves, what does it look like for us to be the church in this moment? to forge a different way, the kind of way that Paul is encouraging us to live into. And so I'm just going to pray and I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to give us ideas and then I'm going to just hold some quiet. And it's okay if you don't have an idea, but if something comes to mind, let's exchange ideas of how we can be empowered by love in this moment, love of the other. So I'll pray and then I'll leave some quiet. And if you want to, you can just jot ideas down if they come to you. And if not, we can just continue to pray this week that we would show up differently in this moment as a people who understand grace, as a people who understand what it means to love self-sacrificially, and as a people who understand the nature of the kingdom being that which is equitable. Holy Spirit, our culture is not showing us right now what it means to be united, what it means to belong, what it means to see those who are different to us with curiosity, with kindness. So we ask that you would help us. Paul had a really tangible, practical thing that he gave the Corinthian church. And so I pray that you too would give us practical things right now that can demonstrate that we live differently, that we see the world differently. And so help us as a community to collectively practice different things. Give us ideas. We need you, Holy Spirit, to help us to be a different kind of people, to be the church, so that in this moment we reveal you. And so this week, would you help us? Would you help us to attune to you? Would you help us to attune to each other? And would you help us to practically demonstrate what has been practically demonstrated to us by you?
pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In a moment, I'm going to take communion, and I'd invite you to do that with me if you have the elements with you. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, when he was betrayed, he broke bread and he shared it with his friends. Monsieur, let's remember to lean into Jesus so that we can be people who extend, that reach for others in a way that is filled with love.